This is the World in Brief from the Economist. Our top stories. Ukrainian troops entered the city of Kherson as Russian forces retreated from it. Ukrainian flags were raised in the regional capital. Earlier, Russia's defense ministry said it had completed a full withdrawal of troops from the western bank of the Dnieper River in Ukraine's Kherson province. The Antonivki Bridge, connecting Kherson city to the new Russian defense line, collapsed. FTX, until recently one of the world's largest crypto exchanges, filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy after suffering a liquidity crunch. Sam Bankman-Fried, its founder, resigned as chief executive. Earlier in the week, Binance, a bigger exchange, withdrew from talks to buy out FTX, which had failed to meet withdrawal requests of up to $8 billion. Crypto prices crashed. SoftBank Group reported its first quarterly profit of 3 trillion yen, or $21 billion, after three loss-making quarters, thanks to a sell-down of its stake in Alibaba, a Chinese e-commerce firm. But SoftBank's giant Vision Funds wrote down by 1.4 trillion yen the value of their tech investments. Son Masayoshi said he would step away from day-to-day management of the Japanese telecoms and software firm to focus on ARM, the British chipmaker it acquired in 2016. President Joe Biden told attendees of COP27 in Egypt that climate change threatens, quote, the very life of the planet and promised that America was on track to cut its greenhouse gas emissions by at least 50 percent from 2005 levels by 2030. Reactions to Mr. Biden's speech were mixed. Germany's climate envoy praised his, quote, positive signals. Other observers criticized his administration's lack of international climate finance commitments. Turkish prosecutors demanded that Istanbul's mayor be jailed for at least 15 months for describing as, quote, idiots, election officials allied with President Recep Tayyip Erdogan. They had stripped him of an election victory in 2019. Ekrem Imamoglu, who comfortably won a later election, was put on trial for insulting public officials. If convicted, Mr. Imamoglu will be banned from holding office during his sentence. China loosened aspects of its punishing zero-COVID policy on Friday, shortening quarantine periods and abandoning its effort to track secondary contacts. Asian stock markets, already excited by a drop in American inflation, jumped for joy. Meanwhile, Chinese authorities counted more than 10,000 new infections, the vast majority of them asymptomatic, more than at any point since April. Guangzhou and some other cities remain locked down. Donald Trump bristled at Ron DeSantis' resounding re-election this week as Florida's governor. The former president dismissed his one-time ally as a, quote, lightweight, adding that Mr. DeSantis had been in, quote, desperate shape during his first campaign in 2017 until Mr. Trump deigned to turn it around with a magnanimous single hand. A fierce rivalry is emerging for the Republicans' 2024 presidential nomination. And word of the week. Acquis communautaire, the body of all EU laws, treaties, and standards that candidate countries must adopt upon accession to the bloc. Consider the term part of Eurospeak. And now, here's a deeper look at the day ahead. So long, Kherson.
After months of moving at a glacial pace, the front lines of the war in Ukraine are now shifting at breakneck speed. Ukrainian forces are rushing forward to fill the apparent vacuum left by Russia's army on the west bank of the Dnieper River. Russia had announced on Wednesday that it would retreat from the area to save its forces from destruction. On Friday, Ukrainian troops arrived in the center of Kherson, liberating it after eight months of occupation. They were greeted by cheering locals. The area is thought to have been heavily mined and booby-trapped, so it may be a while before it's fully in Ukraine's hands. Even so, the seeming speed of Russia's retreat has taken observers by surprise. Some expected it would take days, if not weeks. The Kremlin is trying to insist that the move is a temporary farewell rather than a permanent goodbye. Ukraine's next target may be Zaporizhia province to the east, part of Russia's land bridge to Crimea. A Southeast Asian Club Struggles for Relevance The Ten-Country Association of Southeast Asian Nations, ASEAN, is meeting in Phnom Penh, Cambodia's capital, until Sunday. This is its first in-person summit since the pandemic. This year's theme is Addressing Challenges Together. The idea is laudable, but otherworldly. ASEAN's challenges are mostly insurmountable. The club has proved incapable of influencing the ruthless junta in Myanmar, an ASEAN member, nor does it seem able to do much about the growing rivalry in the region between America and China. Still, it counts as a small ASEAN win that President Joe Biden will attend its key forum, the East Asia Summit, on Saturday before heading to Bali in Indonesia for the G20 and a meeting with Xi Jinping, his Chinese counterpart. America will be made a comprehensive strategic partner of ASEAN, a distinction granted to China a year ago. This will help ASEAN maintain its mantra of centrality, staying at least somewhat relevant to the superpowers duking it out. A new generation for men's tennis Tennis aficionados have been awaiting a generational change for years, only to find that young players are unable to dislodge the veteran trio of Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal, and Novak Djokovic. But the baton may well pass this year. Mr. Federer retired in September. Mr. Nadal and Mr. Djokovic this year won their now customary French Open and Wimbledon titles, but the challengers are coming. There is already a new world number one, Carlos Alcaraz, a 19-year-old Spaniard who was majestic in winning the U.S. Open in September. Twelve months ago, Mr. Alcaraz won the ATP's Next Generation event, a short tournament open to the highest-ranked players aged 21 and under. The final of the 2022 event takes place on Saturday. Mr. Alcaraz and fellow rising stars Holger Rune and Yannick Sinner are taking a breather, but potential finalists Jack Draper and Brandon Nakashima look solid bets to become future top 10 players. The Polka Dot Princess in Hong Kong M+, a contemporary art museum in Hong Kong, celebrates its first anniversary with a huge retrospective opening on Saturday. Yayoi Kusama, 1945 to now, features more than 200 works by the Japanese sculptor and installation artist, drawn from museums and private collections in America, Asia, and Europe. It explores questions of life and death, and considers how Miss Kusama, now 93, became a cultural icon to fans a quarter of her age. With her pieces regularly fetching more than $1 million at auction, the Princess of Polka Dots is Japan's most successful living artist.
She created mirrored infinity rooms, which draw huge crowds wherever they appear. Famous for her spotted paintings, Strawberry Red Bob, and as of late, a polka dot wheelchair, she checked into a psychiatric institution in Tokyo in 1977 and has lived there ever since. With her quirkiness and mass appeal, Miss Kusama, says the chief curator of M+, quote, is the ultimate outsider and the ultimate insider. Weekend Profile, Allah Abd el-Fatah, Egypt's Prisoner of Conscience In 2011, Allah Abd el-Fatah turned 30 in a Cairo jail. He spent his 40th birthday behind bars, too. In fact, the human rights activist has marked many of life's milestones from inside a cell. His son's birth, his father's death. Again in custody, he is Egypt's most high-profile political prisoner and a source of international embarrassment to its thuggish government. Egypt had hoped to use COP27, the UN climate conference taking place in Sharm el-Sheikh, to polish its image. But Mr. Abdel Fattah, who recently escalated a months-long hunger strike by refusing water, is making that impossible. America's president, Joe Biden, raised Mr. Abdel Fattah's case with his Egyptian counterpart on Friday. Many other leaders and luminaries have called for his release. Mr. Abd el-Fatah was born to Egyptian intellectuals with an activist bent. Imprisonment prevented his father from attending the birth of his daughter, the beginning of a dark family tradition. Mr. Abd el-Fatah's first taste of protest came in 2005, when Egyptians decried election rigging by the government of Hosni Mubarak, the dictator who ruled from 1981 to 2011. By 2011, when the Arab Spring swept the Middle East, Mr. Abdel Fattah had become a leader of Egypt's uprising. After General Abdel Fattah al-Sisi helped topple a democratically elected government in 2013, he was arrested again for allegedly organizing against a new law banning protests. He has since spent most of his time in prison. Mr. Abdel Fattah's confrontation with the Egyptian regime may now be reaching a climax. In December, he received a five-year prison sentence for, quote, undermining national security. He has been on hunger strike for more than 200 days and has refused water since last weekend. On Thursday, his sister said authorities had started a, quote, medical intervention. The government is happy to let him die, she insisted, but not, quote, while the world is watching. All the more reason to pay attention. The winners of this week's quiz. Thank you to everyone who took part in this week's quiz. The winners, chosen at random from each continent, were Asia, Kobshai Kingshachaval, Bangkok, Thailand. North America, Ba Bedie, Vancouver, Canada. Central and South America, Ramon Azporua, Caracas, Venezuela. Europe, Eleanor Smith, Cambridge, Britain. Africa, Madeleine Wackernagel, Naromuro, Kenya. Oceania, Kieran Donahue, Melbourne, Australia. They all gave the correct answers of David Bowie, Harper Lee, Muhammad Ali, he was Cassius Clay in 1960, Prince, and Zsa Gabor. The theme is that they all died in 2016, a year that was famously deadly for celebrities. And visit the Espresso app for our new weekend crossword, designed for experienced cruciverbalists and newcomers alike. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Stan Lee. Luck's a revolving door. You just need to know when it's your time to walk through. 
That's the World in Brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening.